Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's 2 p.m. in Memphis. Giannato and Jeffrey time. Get off the fence. Live on Memphis's sports station. 92.9 FM ESPN. Welcome to the Giannotto and Jeffrey Show. We're coming to you live from Memphis, Tennessee. My name is Jeffrey Wright. You can follow me on Twitter at jwright929ESPN. Dennis Fuller's producing the program for us. We're glad that he's with us. Sitting across from me is the Commercial Appeals lead sports columnist, the lead sports columnist of the number one sports section in the state of Tennessee. Top three sports columnists in the state of Tennessee, barely. Tied for eighth, best sports columnist in the United States of America. He's on Twitter, at MGianato. Mark, good day, sir. Welcome to Man, we're closing out what's supposed to be the slowest sports week of the year with a bang. I really, I, I really appreciate how the calendars come together this year. I've been, I've been harping on it at the beginning of each show all week because this is supposed to be like one of those tough weeks in sports talk radio, and it's turned into a delight. Today, okay. thanks to Penny Hardaway and University of Tennessee football in the NCAA. How much of this, though, is repeatable? Because some of this feels no, you're right, you're right. circumstantial. Like, it's like for instance, not every single year Penny Hardaway is going to add a, a player at this time. Well, here's what I'd say. History is starting to, if you look back the past four or five years, eh, we might be able to count on something like this. Maybe not this week exactly, but, it, you know, July, sure, but like Tennessee getting the NCAA penalty, well, like that. I agree, but I would say this: it kind of replaced conference a conference realign. You know, typically we begin in a conference realignment thing, if you will, around this time of year every year. So maybe this is in in lieu of a conference realignment thing, but we might still have the possibility for that in the next couple weeks. I mean, I appreciate your optimism, and you're right. Some of this is not repeatable. I do think, though, we've made strides. One with Extending media days out, like Big Twelve starting their media days this week. I like that. That's a that's a sustainable improvement that we've gotten to the yes. calendar. Um, I think you're right. The Tennessee thing is probably a one off. My gut is telling me, based on how he's operated the last few years, I think expecting a Memphis basketball roster to be complete by Memorial Day. I don't think that's in the cards necessarily. I don't think that's how Penny Penny Hardaway operates. 
I don't think it's necessary. I actually don't even think I, it's the best way to okay. operate. I think given what we've seen in the landscape, you need to keep some spots open because there's always going to be late people coming into the portal. I agree with you, but hang with me here. What if the calendar gets like what if you know to me like they're gonna you know at some point Oh, they're already some, talking about some it. Some people are gonna have to start doing things to make it look like they're doing things, and it feels like the only thing they can really do is like change the calendar. Well, here's what I'd say. I think it, I think there will be some changes. I think one of the things being discussed is that initial window when you're supposed to enter the portal and still be eligible to come back the following year, you know, or to, or to play the next year without having to sit out. I think that window will get shrunken. I think it's 60 days now. They're already talking about making that 30 days. And then my my guess is they'll also right now you basically have unlimited time to then commit to a school. My guess is they'll, they, there's, I think in the future, I don't know about in the next year, but in the future, I think they'll probably end up being a date when you can go. Because right now, even if you were to, even if you were, you were to shrink the time period of when people could transfer, these transfers Memphis is getting Javon Quinterly yesterday, Jordan Brown last uh, a couple weeks ago, they're grad transfers. Right now, the way the rules are written, those guys can go on the portal whenever and play the next year. So. Um, it'll be very interesting, but all, all I know is it's been a very eventful week, and we're 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 ending it with a bang. And this is supposed to be the boring week. No, I think that's I think that's fair. I do think a, a big part of this also is now it does feel like like we talked about yesterday, like C and D list events, happenings, whatnot. They're they're yep. willing to we're being we're being more strategic about this. They're willing to sacrifice a quote unquote prime date to have the to have the stage to themselves largely. Yeah, it's been nice. So we'll talk we'll talk Javon Quinterly, Memphis basketball here at the top. Also get into uh the news about Tennessee football and their sanctions from the NCAA. Uh and also just some of the fascinating subplots mm. that have emerged uh, because of the coverage of all this. Blake Topmeyer, he's the SEC columnist for the USA Today Network. He'll join us later this hour, 2.40 or so. We'll get his thoughts. He'll be he's, fresh up. He's recording a pod right now. I guess he's doing an emergency pod for mm, NCAA penalties, so he'll yeah. be fresh off that. Gotcha. Well, he's in Knoxville on the scene, if you will. Uh, we'll get the reaction on the other side of the state to everything. And also, Jeffrey, he did Lord's work this week. Yes, he did. Um, He's got a column up mm. about the best – home environments in the SEC, and I'll just tell Best you. Best home field advantage. Home field advantage. But the the headline makes you go, oh, he's going just your generic best home home field. No. no. This formula he used ended Math. up ended up with South Carolina as the best home field advantage in the SEC. So I want to, I want him to explain this. His methodology. I wanna, yeah, I want to talk to him about this. This. Uh, you want him to show his work? Yeah. Not, yeah, I just, I need to hear how, the, how we ended up with South Carolina as the best home field advantage in the SEC. Yeah, I will say anecdotally, like when I think about it, it kind of makes sense. Like, well, well, I will tell you this: most people that go and cover a game at South Carolina tell you the stadium is like underrated, loud. Mm-hmm. Well, I, listen, I just i want to I want to hear how he got to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to. Uh, I want to hear how he got to that. We'll get into the list uh, next hour. Interesting home and home series between Memphis and. University of Tennessee agreed to Jeffrey. We learned today it's in women's basketball. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll talk about that in the list, and then uh, 
we've both Jeffrey and I have gotten through, we believe, three episodes of quarterback. I've definitely gotten through three episodes. I've definitely yeah. gotten through three. I think that's what I've gotten through at this point. Um, we're going to talk about it. It's a pretty interesting Netflix series. Um, and I believe Jeffrey has has some football takes mm. to workshop yeah. based off of quarterback. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we'll dive into that uh, next hour as well. So lots and lots to get to. Let's start, though, with the big news here locally, which came last night. Javon Quinterly, big sports news, I should say. Javon Quinterly announcing on social media what had uh, had been rumored for a couple weeks now, uh, ever since he uh, abruptly decided to leave Alabama, he is transferring to the University of Memphis. Memphis and Penny Hardaway have their point guard for next year. Um, former five-star recruit. I believe he's 24 years old. He'll be 25 on November the 25th. Um, so he'll be 25 most of next season. He's a spring chicken on this roster. Um, good player, really experienced player. Kind of took a step back in terms of playing time last year with Alabama. But if you watched at the end of the season, in the postseason, he was playing. He was their starting point guard, I, and and even during the regular season, he was their starter well, was a coming, lot. He was coming off the injury yeah. that he sustained in the Notre Dame game of the tournament two years ago. Yeah, but by the end, the. The funny thing is, like, you know, when the Tigers were going after Jaden Bradley, he ended up replacing him, basically. Mm-hmm. Yes, they played Quinterly over Bradley. So, worked out great, and he's got, he, it's a, it's a you know, like, the reality was, you could, you could envision Caleb Mills playing point guard, or Jalen Young, the UCF transfer, who is a point guard, being your starting point guard, even though he has no prior starting experience, basically. Now you've got an established guy, and it really does. Jason Munns has an interesting piece over at CommercialPill.com, kind of the analysis of this. It kind of slots everyone back into their natural position. Like now yeah. Caleb Mills can be the two guard he should be. Jalen Young. And I would also add position and role. Like, yes. You know what I mean? Jalen Young can be the backup point yes. guard he should be. And um, you look at it from the perspective of, okay, now – You've got Javon Quinterly slotted as your starting point guard. Caleb Mills slotted as your starting shooting guard. Um, David Jones, the St. John's transfer, likely your starting three. DeAndre Williams, hopefully, as your starting four. And Jordan Brown as your starting five. Um, That is a great starting lineup. (laughs) Like, period. End of story. That is a great college basketball starting lineup. In terms of talent, in terms of positionally, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I, um, I do think there's a little bit more concern. Like, I think there's some returning from injury stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Like, with who? I mean, both. Here's what I say: both Mills and Quinterly have had serious injuries in their yeah. college career. Um, DeAndre has had some injury issues in his college career. Um, I'm not sure about – I don't think Jordan Brown has. I'm not sure, though. Not 100% positive. I, yeah, I think the year they missed was not – But here's what I'd say. They were all healthy last year. They were. Like they, All three of those guys who I'm saying had inj- have had injury issues in their past were all healthy last year. No, I mean, I, I think there's a legitimate case to be made if if indeed – I think you I think you need DeAndre, and if you get DeAndre – Well, we said the other day, if you, were, if you had to pick one – If you had to pick one out of Quinterly – or DeAndre, you could only have one of them, you would have picked DeAndre over Quinterly. Yes. 
But now we can have both. And so, like, you know, like, hopefully we can get both. That would be nice. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, th- I, I would think say the case this, to make is if, that's his best team. If they get DeAndre, it's the best team since Calipari was coaching here in terms of roster, top to bottom. Yeah, I'd have to go back. and A couple of those Josh teams were. I mean, like, if you compare it, like, the one I was thinking of was, like, the 2014 one or the 2013 one, maybe. I mean, the one with, like, Joe Jackson as an upperclassman and you had, like, Austin Nichols as a freshman. You know, that, that, that was the last team that made the tournament. That was a pretty good one. You know, you had Adonis and Shaq, right? I think, was Will there at that point? That's true. You had the. I mean, that team was. That team was pretty good. Yeah, but this team's old. Look how old this team but is. But it's, okay, like, I'm with you. But, like. It's, like, not even possible for that team to be, like, as old as this team what is going to be in terms of the players that are playing. Yeah, I mean, the the thing I was telling Jeff, you know, you can make this. You know how being a, you know how being, like, a. AAU coach used to be kind of a pejorative. Mm-hmm. Can you make the case now that it's like an advantage? Because those are people that are used to putting teams together on the fly. I think it's certainly an advantage on the recruiting trail. Like you, you've seen, it feels to me, we're now entering year six, like Penny's sixth season as head coach. I've always felt he's been one step ahead of everyone on the recruiting trail. Not in terms of necessarily like, Obviously, he's been good at landing guys, but even just in terms of his tactics and the type of players he's going after, it has always felt, by and large, he's been he's kind of stayed ahead of the the pack, so to speak, and he's always been he's he's always made alterations to his recruiting philosophy too early as opposed to too late, or like right on time as opposed to too late. Like the the only time you can see him, you've seen him really admit in any form or fashion, like. I should have maybe done things differently. Was remember in the middle of that year with Jalen yes. Duran and Amani Bates, he's like, he made it clear I'm going to this the way he's yeah, done it ever I, I since. Want, I'm getting older. Yeah, I'm getting old, dudes, and yeah. he has gone to the extreme. But I think, like for instance, this off season, I think he knew correctly, or maybe assumed or knew correctly, like don't panic in April and May if you don't get exactly what you want. There's going to be more out there, and he has, you know, you've seen here, it just doesn't it feel like it? Like Javon Quinterly, if Javon Quinterly's in the portal in April, Memphis is probably competing with like five other big schools to get him. And because they waited and he ended up coming back, going into the portal late, it felt like there just wasn't as much competition for him as there would have been if he immediately after the season had gone into the portal. Yeah, I don't know if he would say this out loud, but the – the sense that I get, and we kind of talked about this with Munns on Monday, I think he thinks like he took guys to take guys last year. He kind of even said it during yeah. the tournament. Remember, he's like, like he kind of like I'm going to take. He said like I'm going to be more involved in recruiting, and and yes, and so um, it's interesting. And now what's happened is, is he's put together as you put it. I, I I think you're right. If DeAndre is eligible, it's his best roster. Since coming here, here's the 2012 13 roster that won 31 games uh, for Josh. And I believe lost to Michigan State in the NCAA tournament, I think. That sounds right. Um, Is that the one that beat St. Mary's, lost to Michigan State? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, 
I was at the game. I should know. I'm trying to remember. It was in Auburn Hills, Michigan. That's what I remember. The Palace? Yeah, I was at the Palace um, in front of a very pro-Michigan State crowd. Um, yes, this is Wait, the— No way, really? <laughs> this is the In year. Auburn Hills, Michigan, yes. it was a partisan crowd? No, I, just, I just remember it because I was there. VCU was there, too, on the other side of the bracket, and I was covering VCU for the Washington Post. But So that team had Joe Jackson, Adonis Thomas, uh, DJ Steffen, Shaq Goodwin, Tarek Black— um, Antonio Barton, Farrakhan Hall. Um, I mean, so three, it had Adonis Thomas, DJ Steffens, and Tarek Black, who have all, oh, and Chris Crawford was on that team, and Jerron Johnson. Um, but you had three guys, you know, Adonis, DJ, kind of like sniffed the periphery of the N- of the NBA, right? Like, remember yeah. D- DJ, you know, like kind of, yeah, like, yeah. and then Tarek, you know, played for a couple years in the NBA. There was more NBA talent on that team. Um, this because let's be clear, if a lot of these guys were NBA talents... Well, and like to that point, though, like when you say like arguably like Chris Crawford and Joe Jackson were the two most important players on that team, potentially. Probably so, yes. You know? Um, yeah. So, yeah. But I mean, I it's think, I it's think equivalent, it, though. I mean, that team... To me, it becomes a question. If you're going to say it's the best team since a Cal team, it means to me you have to... You, you believe that there's a difference between... Best roster. Yeah, you believe that there's a difference between an NBA talent and a good college player, which I'm open. Yeah, I'm. That's that's a case I'm. I would accept. Like, would you rather have DJ Steffens as a college player or DeAndre Williams? I'd rather have DeAndre. Yeah, yeah. I think so too. Um, God, DJ's. God, he is so athletic. Yeah. Like he was just. He was like a kangaroo on a pogo stick. Yeah. I mean, it's close, but th- this team's got a real shot. It feels like to be the best team since a Cal Parrot. Certainly. I mean, don't, wouldn't you say if they get all these guys, if DeAndre gets the waiver, don't you think expect where? You know, don't you think expectations should be? Hey, this is Penny's team that gets to the second weekend. Or do you think that's not fair because it's still ultimately like they should have gone to the second weekend this past year? Yeah, they I just kind of fumbled me, it, if you the will. Disappointment, the disappointment, the disappointment of the F or the FAU game. Yes, it's like the way the game ended, but there's. It's all but a certainty, in my opinion, that you're never going to have another chance to go to a Sweet 16 playing a 16 seed. Like that, I mean, it's happened twice in the history of the tournament. And, you know what I mean? Like that that just, the problem, the problem that I have with saying like this is a for sure a Sweet 16 team is I would like to know what's the view of the league going to be? Because such a huge part of making it to the second weekend is seeding. Mm-hmm. And if this team runs up, you know, if this team runs up a gaudy record, well, then I think this, the seeding will probably take care of itself. But I guess you and I haven't talked about this, and we can maybe ask Munz more on Monday, but uh, I'll just put you on the spot here. What's the Jordan Brown status? Well, it sounds like, I mean, it. you know, these guys are grad trans. The reason why this all can work is, is these guys being grad trans? A lot of them being grad transfers, and so you you know because a lot you know whether you go go through the list of some of these guys, Quinterly's already transferred once, Jordan Brown's already transferred okay, a bunch. I guess, I guess let me let me put it to you this way though. Here's where I'm confused on Jordan Brown because you hear I I hear two main things. You hear one one side that he's he's probably going to be ineligible for the first semester. I don't think the other ones. You, the other side is like, hey, he's just got a little coursework. Because the, the my confusion is this. 
as you said, they're grad transfers. So to me, they're either they either graduate and transfer, or if it's a th- a situation with Brown, like if he's not a graduate transfer and he's just a transfer, like he's going to need a waiver. It's not like, oh, he's ineligible for the first semester. It's like he needs a waiver to play if he's not a grad transfer. Well, if he graduates in the first semester. Okay, so that would be that would, what I, you're saying is it – okay, that's what – You know what I mean? Like that that could be a possibility, I guess. But I, from what I've heard, like, you know, I don't want to – I don't want to delve too deep in it. I just think these guys have coursework to do, and it's all dependent on that. A lot of it – like right, but there's a bunch like of guys makes- who aren't on campus yet – who are finishing up stuff at their previous schools. And, you know, it's up to, fi- you know, they got to figure out to make sure. I don't think those, the you know, like that time period where they are completing the work isn't over yet. So, you know, I think they have to. But I, do I think do I think this roster is now 100% set, excluding the DeAndre decision? No, I don't think. I, I think there's a chance you could see, you know, there's a reason why there's several guys who aren't on campus yet. And, like, to say with certainty, like I think if you ask the Memphis staff, they feel very optimistic that all these guys are going to, you know, get to campus in the in the right academic order and what compliance and all that. But they still have to go through all that. I guess the, the, the point that I'm making, though, is if Jordan Brown has to go into the first, like if he has to finish a semester at, is he finishing up at uh, I, I, Lafayette? I, I, from what I understand, I guess. Yeah, I don't. I'm probably not the best person to ask about this. I'm not. Can you in grad the weeds. transfer mid season? I'm sure. I, my guess. Is, I, I don't know. I don't know the exact specifics of how this is going to be worked out. Um, I don't think the staff has, you know, shut the door on him just being ready in a few weeks or ready for the start of the school year. So. I, I don't know. I'll get to me. It's like when we get to that point, then we should discuss it. But like right now, I think if you ask the staff, like they're hopeful, well, all the, these guys the, will be fine. So the again, I just think it's I'm confused as to why Brown would be ineligible for like the first semester. The only way, because to me, even in your situation that you're mentioning, like, well, he's got to finish school. Well, he's not ineligible. He's just finishing school somewhere else. Like so. Like that's a that's a different thing to me, but I, I get what you're saying. The reason, though, I bring it up, though, is to me, like, the beefiest and most important part of the schedule is the beginning. Correct. No, and I think even if everyone is available, I, I really think, you know, like, it's important to be excited about the roster that's been put together because it's a really good roster. I also think, like, the hardest part is not – we have not even gotten to the hardest part yet. The hardest part, and I think Penny would say this himself, isn't getting the guys to campus. It's getting them to accept roles and play together and all that. He's been through it now five years. Ah, tale as old as time. You know, like that part still is to be determined. Like there are a lot of guys on this team who have been the dude on teams before. Sure. Like I guess you saw Quinterly accept, you know, at least that's why I think the Quinterly thing is kind of important, it feels like, because at least. Well, I think the Quinterly thing's important for I, I I think it is imperative in college basketball to have a pure point guard. Yeah. And we've seen like the teams that I don't the t- Penny's teams that I don't feel like achieved what they could have. Mm-hmm. I think it's because they didn't have a pure point guard. Um so you've got that, but you've got him, you know, like Caleb Mills 
has been like um, the guy on teams before. David Jones was the guy on St. John's last year. You know, DeAndre was him and, you know, was I guess he was number two last year, you'd say, probably. But it was still is a major personality. And Jordan Brown was the guy on a team last year. And so um, there's going to be. And then if you DeAndre throw, was as close to being a co-number one as a team with Kendrick Davis can be. Yeah. Because you and I talked about it, like, Kendrick's the alpha. No well, I mean, well, it's just Kendrick has the ball in his hand. Like, he's yeah. he's bringing the ball up the floor, so he's got the ball in his hands. But the second half of the season, like, Kendrick's performance yeah. overshadowed how unbelievable DeAndre was. Yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, and so, and I think, I think, I think having, De- I've said this all along, I think having DeAndre is going to be crucial just for the chemistry of the team. So you have a guy, at least a guy, who's gone through this with Penny Hardaway before and can kind of be like he would be the natural leader of this team. Mark, Mark, are you going are you going coach on the floor? Yes. There we go. Well you just not even coach on the floor. Like we're talking about getting guys to accept their roles. If they can watch and see like DeAndre, the guy who's actually been there swallowing his ego, I think that helps a lot. You know, like I just think he's a central character in all of this. And if you don't have him no, I it's, agree. It, I, also, I find it's going to be a lot harder. It seems like to me, for this all to seamlessly fit together, because like let's just be like it is a great transfer hall, and he had to do it because of the way his roster was last year with all these older guys. But we haven't like even in the transfer portal era. I don't remember a lot of teams that replaced twelve of their thirteen scholarship players from year to year. And I bet you if there are, a lot of them are like first-year coaches who are coming in yeah, and, you know, like changing to, everything. I know. The, like, you just don't see it very often. It's not to say it's not well, going to work. Some, there's the talent there to, honestly, as we put it, like this could, if it works, this is this should be the best team Penny's fielded. But it, it kind of has vibes of Chris Beard's first team at Texas. Mm-hmm. He, you know, his, he did it mainly through the portal. I mean, last and, year's team. No, that was last year. It was his second year. Oh, was it? Okay. The first, like, the team that he put together, like, uh, on the fly. Mm-hmm. What he did was he got a lot of guys that had good numbers on bad teams mm-hmm. and then got them together. And, you know, they were they were pretty good. They had kind of a disappointing tournament. But, like, that's... It, yeah, they, no, it can, it can work. I, I just think I don't want to put too much on this team yet just because I think in the past even... We as media members and even – and I, I shouldn't necessarily group you into this because I think you've been more skeptical than most at times over the years. But we've we've assumed too much just based on, like, the collection of talent. And, like, there's a bigger part – there's a – just as big a part of this isn't just getting them here to campus. That is a huge part, getting that – getting the requisite talent. But we saw a couple years ago even – you know, that team ultimately didn't reach its ceiling because they didn't get the chemistry right until, like, later than you would have hoped. It wasn't later than, you know, the season wasn't a disaster because they did get it together and they did make the NCAA tournament. But we saw when that team lost to Gonzaga, the team with Duran and, yeah. you know, all them. Like, if that team was a four seed, that team should have, that team could have been a Sweet 16 Elite Eight team, too. They just happened to go up against one of the best teams in the country. In the second round, because it didn't come together quickly enough. No, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Which brings me to my next point. Mm-hmm. 
because the chemistry issues. Mm-hmm. Let's be real. Let's not beat around the bush. There was a big problem in the locker room that Amani Bates was being. Two years ago. Two years ago. Yeah. That Amani last Bates, year there wasn't. Last year, correct. Last year there was there was a clear pecking order. What do we make of Mikey Williams oh. on social <laughs> media? Because I he endorses I, it. I he's on board listen, with Quinterly. I am willing to accept I can be wrong. Contrary to popular belief, I am totally capable of putting my hand up. But I'm willing to say this, and this is exactly how I feel. I think you should be done with Mikey Williams. I'm totally fine with how they're choosing to play this, but I, I do not think you need Mikey Williams. I don't. I think Mikey Williams at this point is going to do more harm than good. Hmm. I think you're good enough without him. I mean, I think that's probably right. I mean, ultimately, he's gonna. He would be maybe compete if he came here. He'd be competing with Caleb Mills and David Jones for a starting spot. And my gut would tell me they'd, especially because he's coming late. He'd probably lose out to those two, like two really experienced college players for a starting spot. The reason why I say it is this situation that you just pointed out. Someone's going to be unhappy. Agreed. Yes, that's why I also think like I wouldn't say the roster's set in stone. You know what I mean? Sure. Like yeah. there's academic no, stuff you. can happen. There's frankly like, oh, there's like twelve dudes on this team now and. You know, sometimes the back three guys in that 12-dude rotation, you know, start to see the writing on the wall that they're not going to be quite the major pieces they were, they thought they were going to be. I suppose. That happens at every school in the country, by the way. I suppose if you wanted to poke, well, it happened in Northwestern football and it cost Pat Fitzgerald. Um, Mm. I suppose you want to poke holes in in my take, Mm -hmm. this would be it. If you're going to have someone unhappy... It seems mm-hmm. like in that situation, Mikey's probably the most the one that's most likely to be unhappy. But, oh, and it feels like he he's gonna I'm not sure that Mikey can be like a locker room killer. Well, it feels like to me also that I, I just got having gotten to know Penny Hardaway on like a surface level uh basis. He has never struck like if if Mikey William I if Mikey Williams wants to come to Memphis still, I don't think Penny's going to keep him out. If that makes sense, like I don't think Penny's going to move on from him in that. No, way. I think that's I think that's probably fair. It's also why I it's kind of the basis. It's kind of the foundation of my take. I think that Penny, but I also think Penny that, has like a Penny kind of has a little star effort in him a little bit, like. And I think he gives those guys more chances probably than they deserve. Well, and I also, I think, you know, he, I think Penny, you can call it, you know, it's a star factor thing, but you can also say, like, I also think well, it's Penny. it's a talent thing, too. Yeah, like, Penny, I think, you know, Penny was a super talented guard. Like, he, like, enjoys working with other super talented guards, in particular, I, I'm with you, and you I don't. Know, and I actually, I, I'm he not. He sees even, some of himself in them, correct. or and whatever. I'm not, I'm not pointing and saying like that's a bad thing or that's like a flaw or whatnot. Mm-hmm. I'm saying the reason why I think that you're better off without him is don't introduce that element. Yeah, no, it definitely it feels like the chances of it. 
backfiring are far greater than the chances of it becoming like him becoming some super sixth man on the team. Correct. Um, which is kind of what it would maybe turn into. I actually think that's completely unrealistic for everything we know about Mikey Williams. Honestly, it feels like to me, based on what I've seen on film, when you talk to scouts, it would honestly be probably like, you know, the ideal kind of role for him where like, right. But he has to play a limit, you know, no, but does he view it that way? No, I don't think so. But correct. In reality, his ideal role is probably being like a 15 to 20 minute a game player as a freshman who, who gets brought in to kind of, you know, juice up the offense for a little while in each half. Right. Doesn't that seem like that's what he's probably best equipped for? And that would be a role on this team that could be very useful. I completely agree with you. My problem is that is unrealistic to me. Yeah. We'll see. Based on everything that we know. We'll see. But he's on board with Cornerly and all on board with it, though. It was a very good tell your story on his Instagram feed, billing it as this is the backcourt. Me me and Quinterly are the starting backcourt. And (laughs) that also adds to my, my feeling. Yeah. Um, well, it'll be uh, interesting. John Rothstein uh, has now in his Rothstein forty-five, Jeffrey, his rankings. He's got that is such a like. Why forty-five? And now I know you can make the argument why twenty-five. Yeah, but can we at least acknowledge twenty-five? Like a quarter of a hundred. We had all. I thought we had all. It was like one of the. It was part of the social contract that we were good with top twenty-fives, and if necessary, give me the others receiving votes. I thought there was I, a social contract in sp- in college sports that that's how we did it. I kind of also am willing to – here's what I'll also do. If you give me the CBS formula for what they do with football, yeah. you're going to rank all 131 or yeah, whatever okay. the CBS – It's too I, many in basketball. It, correct. You can't do it. Right. So, but we also seem to we'll kind of accept top 50. It seems like if it's a multiple of 25, we're willing to at least like get in there. Yeah. 45 just feels – like, let's be real. That feels like you're trying to uh, be a little too nice. That's that's afraid. That's afraid to cut the cord. Well, he's now got Memphis, so he's he's approaching Memphis right now. Since DeAndre Williams doesn't have a waiver, he is ranking them based on no DeAndre Williams. So, John Rothstein now has them. They were not in the top forty-five before Quinterly. Quinterly's commitment yesterday. Uh, they are now number thirty, slotted at number thirty with Quinterly. And then he has said if they get Williams on a waiver, he would have them top 20-ish is how he phrased it. Now, I would say this. It already feels like to me by having him at 30, he's kind of wink-winking at they might have DeAndre Williams too. Because, like, if you didn't have him in the top 45 before Quinterly, do you see Quinterly as worthy of essentially a 20-spot bump? Here would be my case. Mm -hmm. I think the problem with the team until yesterday was no point guard. Uh, Okay. And now you have – now your backcourt – Now you don't even have a point – you didn't just get a point guard. You got like a quality point guard. You got a quality – you got a point guard of a sweet 16 team. Quality veteran point guard. Yes. Like I I, I think that could be the case. And now your backcourt is going to be 25 – Caleb is going to be 24 – uh, let's see here. Caleb Mills age. No, he, Caleb Mills. Caleb, Caleb Mills Caleb's, only twenty two. Caleb, he'll be he'll be twenty three in a week and a half. So he'll be twenty three. So you're gonna have a twenty five, a twenty three, and then David is uh, a Dominican twenty four, maybe. Um, 
a Dominican 21. No, 20, no, excuse me. Yeah, November 20, 2001 is when he was born. So he'll, yeah, be, he'll be 20. He'll be 22. He'll be 22 at the beginning. He's the of spring the chicken. Yes, 22 year old, young 22. So that's your. That's like your. That's your your back garden wing. Yeah, and then DeAndre's 27. Correct. And Jordan, and Jordan Brown, I think 24 as well. Uh, Have we done the math? Is the starting lineup going to be older than the Grizzlies? Jordan Brown is tw- yeah. Jordan Brown will be twenty four in December. December, right? Um, so if, if you go with the Grizzlies, Morant will be. Steven kills you because I think Steven's now. I think the Grizzlies now will have a starter over thirty. Well, and you'll have and you'll have uh, Marcus Smart added to it too. Marcus Smart's like twenty nine. So so Ja will be twenty four next year. Jaron Jackson will be. Jaron will be twenty four next year. Uh, Desmond Bain. Will be Desmond Bain will be twenty five next season, and then Stephen Adams is Stephen Adams will be he's, he's going to be thirty. Now. He'll be thirty next yeah. week, and then Marcus Smart. He's twenty nine. He just turned twenty nine in March. Yeah. Now, if you add Kennard in there, maybe that changes it. Kennard's uh, younger. I think Kennard's be twenty eight. Maybe it's close though. Kennard's twenty seven. I mean, think about this. It feels like Marcus Smart has been in the NBA for a decade. Mm-hmm. He is only two years older than DeAndre. <laughs> I mean, that just feels. I think he has been in the NBA for a decade this I year. I think it was seven, right? No, I think this is his tenth year, isn't it, Marcus Smart? So his first year was, yeah, you're right, fourteen. Yeah, this is this. Is, I think he's played nine seasons. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> Good job, Penny. That is that's it's great good stuff. work. It's good work, and I guess I guess this is my problem though. I think it'll. How work. do we have any? Has anyone? Uh, I need someone with Rothstein's top forty-five or whatever. And also, it's not a cute enough name. I know it's not catchy, especially for someone that is so catchphrase. Like he's he's all about like Let's what see, he can put on a sure T-shirt. I, yeah, let me make sure I like uh, I like Gary's top twenty-five and one. Like that's that's catchy. Mm-hmm. Rothstein forty five, like, is there is there a yeah the it's just Rothstein forty five. That's is that all it am, is. I, am I like is there a joke I'm missing? Is there like something clever I'm missing? But I don't think so because he's not really a jokey guy. Yeah, well that's that's just what it but, is. Okay, but. has anyone like what was the accuracy of the Rothstein forty five in July? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Can you can you scroll back to last year's? It's not. He. It's like on. I mean, in fairness to him, I imagine. I don't every, think there's like archives of every it. top twenty-five from July of last year probably went up in flames. Yes, I. It'll be. In, I mean, the key to all of this is very clearly going to like this team is going to be really good in the new AAC. There's no doubt in my mind about that. The question is going to be, how good will they be early in the season? How quickly will they get it together? Because that's where your best ch- you're going to have two games against FAU after January. You can't. You literally cannot count on anything else. There might be another game or two that boosts your resume after January first. It feels like cross your fingers, like UAB. You're hoping UAB's yeah. good on good. You're hoping Wichita State maybe has a fast start under yeah. this new coach. Maybe Ron Hunter, you know, gets it together sooner this time with Tulane. But like, that's basically banking on like. One or two of those road games being a quad one game for you. Yes. And that's that's tough. 
So you have to get it together early in the season if you're going to avoid that 7-8-9 purgatory, if you will, that you've been in, or 8-9 purgatory you've been in basically every time you've been in the tournament, even dating yeah. back to the Passner days, no, the end it, of the Passner it's, it's the problem with the league. Yes. Um, and so that's crucial all this. Josh but, had a team. I remember, I remember, I feel like enough times have passed, like everyone, like everyone can, this isn't like being a Josh apologist. But Josh had one team. I think it was the 31 and 5 team. Yeah. If you look at how they seed today, that team ends up getting like an eight. And that team should have been a three. Oh. Yes. Like they were like 12. Like they, like their net would have been a 12. Like they're not, they're, they're, they played a tough schedule. Like the things that get valued, they would have, they got, they had wins that year in non con. Well, they didn't have a great non-con schedule. That's that but, was their problem. Non, they didn't have a great non-con win. They beat. At, they won at Tennessee. Yeah, but like I remember looking it up metrically, like their net would have been like twelve. Like they, mm-hmm. that team kind of got underseeded. Yeah, but that's kind of the problem. Is you yeah. look at what's going to happen now. Like I don't think the Americans going to get more respect this year than it did last year. No, but it'll get more than I think I anticipated because Florida Atlantic. I think having two teams like Florida Atlantic and Memphis atop the conference will help with perception if they're as good as they seem to be. Buy or sell this. I kind of need to see Florida Atlantic do it again. Oh, I don't think I they're going to be I know 31 and 3. I know it's largely the same team, but like the schedule. Their schedule's a lot tougher, I think. It looks just from we I don't think they've released a schedule yet, but you can you've they've had a couple games announced. Like you can already tell they're gonna they're getting a couple games they wouldn't have gotten without the final four run and without having the type of team they have. And it also felt to me like that team got on the heater of heaters. They were thirty one and three right. during the season. Like but yes. Uh, like I said, I don't. They I, lost Ole Miss. I, I can't get it out of my head. They lost Ole Miss. I just, I can't. I, I understand it was super early in the schedule, but it's like I cannot get that out of my head. Yeah. So we shall see. It'll be a. It's going to be a fun one though. Tigers get Javon Quinterly, and they've got just an absolute loaded roster now. It should be a lot of fun to see how this all develops and uh, where Penny Hardaway can take them. All right. When we come back, Blake Topmeyer is going to join us. University of Tennessee got hit with some. Uh, I would say precedent-setting sanctions, potentially, from the NCAA. I said penalties, air quotes. Penalties, air quotes. Um, But really interesting fallout from this Tennessee recruiting scandal that was essentially basically their way of avoiding paying Jeremy Pruitt a buyout and getting rid of him. We'll get Blake Topmeyer's thoughts on that, as well as best SEC home Mm. field advantages, his unique formula that ended up with South Carolina as the best home field advantage in SEC football. We'll get his thoughts on that next. You're listening to Giannato and Jeffrey on 90. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink... What you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. 
Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. United of MESPN. Giannato and Jeffrey broadcast live from the Red River Toyota Studios. Check out Red River Toyota in Wynn, Arkansas. This hour of G&J is brought to you by the Next Generation 10G Network, only from Xfinity. The Giannato and Jeffrey Show on 92.9 FM ESPN. Blake Topmeyer is the SEC columnist for the USA Today Sports Network. His podcast is SEC Football Unfiltered. Download, like, subscribe. You know the drill. Just recorded an emergency pod. Um, was it an emergency pod of SEC Unfiltered, Blake? <laughs> no, it wasn't an emergency pod of SEC Unfiltered. Uh, it was our other podcast, The Volunteer State, which will be pubbing soon, which is reacting to the, the big news of the day at the University of Tennessee. Okay, so let's start there. For, for those that have not heard yet, despite 18 level one violations, despite over 200 individual incidents, which I also didn't understand. Like, I've never seen it broken down that way. It's usually just their level ones. Like, I, I've never seen the. Right. I can tell you actual... why it was broken down that way. It's because Tennessee did most of the investigating Correct. for them. Correct. They, 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 they did it nicely. But the whole idea of pinning this all mostly on Jeremy Pruitt, it feels like the strategy worked. Tennessee's going to lose 28 total scholarships, 16 of which I believe they've already self imposed. So 12 over the next, is it five years or four years? How many is it, Blake? Five years. 12 over the next five and an $8 million fine. Overall, I would say Tennessee proved what Chris Carter got in trouble for saying at the NFL Rookie Symposium, but nothing truer has ever been said. Get yourself a fall guy. That's what Tennessee did, and it feels like mission accomplished. Yeah, Jeremy Pruitt made himself the the, the fall yeah. guy, yes. guy, really. Um, he didn't provide enough separation that he could be plausibly uh, ignorant to all this was was going on and this is a, a career crippling verdict for Jeremy Pruitt I mean his his coaching tenure at Tennessee was already a crippling um, outcome for Jeremy Pruitt's career but but this is really kind of a knockout punch I feel like for him for Tennessee this is a win in UT land I, I mean we can we can get hung up on the fine or the scholarship deal or whatever Tennessee knew from the start it was not going to come out of this without any penalties. And let's face it, the $8 million fine, that's big in terms of the NCAA's history. But Tennessee would have owed Jeremy Pruitt $12.6 million in severance had it not fired him for cause. So that fine's still a discount compared to what it would have, what it would have owed Pruitt. So this is, this is an absolute win for Tennessee because the one penalty – the one penalty that these institutions always fear in these cases is the postseason ban. That's the one penalty Tennessee would not self-impose. They did not want anything to do with the postseason ban, and they would take their chances to the finish line, and it paid off. And, and I think that this shows it is a new day for the NCAA, and what that new day reveals is that institutions that fail to monitor cheaters now have it made in the shade. So long as they fire the coach, 
and serve his head on a platter to the NCAA. We've seen schools do this in the past. We've seen schools cooperate with the NCAA, and that still didn't protect them from the postseason ban. But Tennessee fired a losing coach. It served him up on a platter, and it, and it avoided the one penalty that it, that it dreaded the postseason ban, and, and now it's cruising ahead with a much more competent coach and athletic director. Yeah, and no lack of institutional control, but usually those go hand-in-hand, to your point, though. But I guess the way that I looked at it was, if, if you would have said last fall, if you give Tennessee, hey, you want to pay like an 8 to $10 million fine, because I think it can be tacked on. I think you can get up to 9 I think it's what Dellinger wrote. Well, and you, and you, you got to factor in, for instance, like the investigation into themselves sure. that gave yeah. Pruitt on a silver platter cost like $1.6 million dollars. Probably cost another couple million in legal fees additionally. So you're, the difference in money is not that great. But I would point out something others who have argued, oh, like you could have just paid the buyout. It didn't. That still didn't preclude you from falling under investigation. Still, because what's Correct. become very clear is Jeremy Pruitt was very brazen with his cheating. No, to to me though, like that's the thing. It's like if you told me that they could pay their way out of this, I think mm. they would have done it ten times out of ten. Yeah, they've, they've paid their way out of losing coaches before. This time, you know, the, the money did not go into the losing coaches pocket. It went into the NCAAs, um, which to your guys' point, uh, the idea that they could have paid off Pruitt and fired him without cause and completely avoided an NCAA investigation, that's probably far-fetched anyway. Do I, do I think it would have reached this depth if they would have took you know, a hard, firm stance against the NCAA? Probably not. It's, it's hard to imagine um, a weakened NCAA uh, infractions committee and an enforcement team, you know, uncovering 18 level one violations and, and over uh, 200 infractions without the cooperation of, of UT. But this was their strategy uh, from the start. And Tennessee says that, you know, its strategy is attributable to do, do the right thing. Call it whatever you will. Um, Tennessee, I suppose, was doing the right thing. This was also self-serving. They, they had a coach who was failing on the field. Uh, I mean, and that's the real legacy of Jeremy Pruitt here, was this was a coach who, despite, as you guys put it, brazen cheating, couldn't even win. He was 3-7 and seven in, in his final season. Um, but I, I'm probably alone in this camp, guys. I do feel some small sense of pity for Jeremy Pruitt because he got his just desserts when he was fired. He absolutely should have been fired for cause. He absolutely should have been stiffed on his buyout. And he spent the two and a half years in college coaching purgatory. I don't, I I don't feel sorry for him for any of that, but now he's got a six year show cause penalty on top of this. And despite how reckless and careless and dim witted, this scandal was, uh, I don't know that I'm looking at the crime of the century here. You know, when you look at what Tennessee actually did, or or its coaching staff did, I'm not excusing it, but like talking about 60,000 bucks um, in, in cash benefits, inducements to recruits and athletes and their families. Like we all know this as the seedy underbelly to college sports that, that existed prior to NIL it's just that Pruitt and his minions were so sloppy at it. Yeah, you think he just um, picked this yeah, to practice but, up at no, Tennessee? I mean, that's the thing, though. But it's like I feel like I'm going back to – I have PTSD back to when I covered Ole Miss's NCAA scandal. It's like Ole Miss wasn't 
in trouble for doing things that other programs weren't doing. How do I know this? Because they lost a lot of recruiting battles. It wasn't like Ole Miss was just in recruiting <laughs> battles and and just like they had they had a cornerback uh, Carter. He went to Alabama, and they're up until the eleventh hour. They thought they had him. All of a sudden, he flips and goes to Alabama. I don't think it was to wear the A. I, I'll, I'll say it that way. But in the end, you're in trouble for the same thing. You got caught because you were sloppy, and like that's the other thing that I keep thinking about. Like, I agree with you. Like, does Jeremy Pruitt deserve, like, this type of punishment that no other coaches have? Like, no. But you know what this also proved to me in some of the text messages that Adam Sparks has written about over at Knoxville News Sentinel? You can also read commercialappeal.com. He has proven to me that he is the guy that didn't know what asparagus is on two-a-days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. And and Philip Fulmer, who avoided implication in all of this, got himself yeah. a retirement package. He's not named in this NCAA report. That man deserves an Oscar for his performance as a clueless athletics director to the very end. And And, and that was his defense in all of this, right, is that, he was witless. He didn't know any of this was going on right under his nose. And he made and, sure there was documentation or lack thereof to prove that. So, yeah, so you think you think supports that? You yeah. think the list of sixteen names that included Alex French as a potential head coach? You think that was intentional? I'm assuming he meant Alex Grinch. Yeah, that's what we've. That's what yeah. I think I'm Sparks kind of determined. I'm assuming that's what he meant. So you you think that was you think that was per, that was the, this is the crime of the century? I love it. I, I don't I don't know if it was intentional, guys. I, I don't know whether he was either A, feigning this witlessness, or B, truly just that utterly clueless. And I'm, I'm frankly not sure um, which one is, is worse. But either way, um, the NCAA, Tennessee, they say he, he was not involved in this, didn't know what was going on. Um, and so he's, he's off into the sunset. Nonetheless, though, um, I do think this is a smear on Philip Fulmer's legacy, you know, regardless of whether he's in this NCA report, there's there's no penalties coming towards Philip Fulmer. We all know he, when he, he, he dies, was, this won't even be in the I mean, obituary. Don't you, th- don't you think at this point his his legacy has already been solidified? Like, yeah. good coach, terrible. It'll administrator. just say he was the athletic director of Tennessee from this year to this year. It, it, this won't this won't even make his obituary. I bet. Pinzu's writing it. So I'm yeah. writing it. It's in there. It's in the top mile one. Three years and, and hired and then failed to monitor the worst coach in Tennessee football history since World War II. I mean, to me, <laughs> for, for a guy. I love those stats. I love it. Since World can, War II any, is like the any worst. Anytime you can say since World War II, like, yeah. that's amazing. I said, yeah, no, you're right. We're, and we're reaching like. Imagine when we get past 100 years past World War II. Like, it's going to be really bad. If you can get a since World War II now, like, we're, you know. Basically, eighty years past World War Two. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you know, a comment sticks with me. Yeah, is from Kay Norton, who is the head of kind of the head of the infractions committee. She did a brief little press conference today, and she commented that Pruitt and his staff displayed quote an unwillingness to even pretend to follow the rules, and I think that's what's <laughs> on display here. And and partially probably why Pruitt and his cronies got so many years piled up on the show cause. It's not just that they were breaking NCAA rules. You know, as we've discussed, like, it's no real shocker that this kind of rule-breaking behavior was going on, particularly in the days before above-board NIL deals. Um, but the way they didn't even pretend 
to follow the rules. That is what is so, I think, shocking and, and all. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 